Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here for the Locked On Nationals podcast here on this Tuesday, November 10th, 2020. On the show today, I speak with Max Raymond. It is part one of our free agency buy or sell special. We'll have part one today. We'll have part two tomorrow. I think you guys are going to really enjoy our conversation. You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. On today's Locked On Nationals podcast, we're sticking with the free agency theme. I've got Max Raymond from District on Deck with me, and we're going to do buy or sell free agency edition. So we'll probably do this in two parts. I'm going to go through kind of the, the big free agents at each position, and I'm going to ask Max if he's buying or selling their fit with the team, and not just them. You know, some of these guys are going to be kind of uh, symbols, if you will, of other players, right? So if I tell you about a 31-year-old pitcher, you know, I, you know, and I say buy or sell this kind of guy, right? You know, we're, we're talking about all the other guys who are kind of in that age range, you know. Uh, so you guys will kind of get get the gist of it as we as we get going. But Max, you did just write a piece that that's kind of going to fall along with what we're talking about today, right? You kind of got a a perfect. Pl- it was the perfect plan, right? You can tell us about it. I did. Well, first off, thanks for having me back, man. I've always, always. enjoyed being here, and yeah. Uh, District on deck, we did a two-part piece called our uh, perfect plan for free agency. And basically with the, according to spot track, we have a projected 47.5 million in um, money left to stay under the luxury tax. And so using that as like a basis, I went over the guys I said the Nash should sign and started off with the big bat that everyone is projecting, uh, George Springer. And I guess that could be your first guy you want to talk about. That, that is the first guy. Yep, you led right into it. So, and we talked about it a bunch here, but Springer, he's going to be 31. I pulled some of the stuff from, you know, I've talked about this too. Mark Zuckerman did a good job of kind of listing it on, on Mass. That he, did, he had an article as well, talking about the Nats players and he listed their age, their numbers. So I'm going to get kind of some of the stuff and then especially the contract projections. But Springer will be 31 next year. He hit 265 this season. 359 on base, 540 slugging, 899 OPS, 14 home runs, 32 runs driven in. And, uh, you know, his projected contract, Zuckerman said six years, 150 million. I think that's in the right range. And Max, I just want to know, buy or sell, are you buying the Nats going big and spending that much money on a guy like Springer? Yes and no. Yes, to an extent that everyone knows they need a huge bat, they started moving Juan Soto to left, uh, from left to right field last year, and he looked a lot more comfortable. That's where he played in the minors, and they're hoping that's where he'll stick from now. And George Springer, he's a center fielder, but you could move him to a corner outfield spot, a.k.a. left. He is a perfect fit for us. He adds protection for Turner and Soto in the lineup. The only problem is he just had a monster postseason after an okay regular season, showing that he can still play at a high level. And being the top offensive bat not named JT Riamuto on the free agent market he's gonna have a, a huge market and Washington cash traps and maybe not allowed to go back into the luxury tax I think they will go after him but if he goes if his um price tag goes too high they will bail at some point because there's no point spending what 30 of the 47 they have just on one person right. leaving and with all the holes we have because we need another catcher we need uh, second baseman, maybe a third baseman if Keebum's not your guy. You need a lot of help in the bullpen. You need a fifth starter, maybe a fourth starter. So they have a bunch of holes. So yes, I hope they go after Springer, but that's why I'm like hesitant. I think once it hits a certain amount, like with the offers, they'll pull out. 
Yeah, I think the three guys who are recession proof, right? I think Real Muto, Springer, and Bauer might be the big, the big three who are not subject to a lot of the uh, you know a lot of guys we th- we think the market's going to be pretty pretty poor for some guys, right? A lot of options were declined by teams, some that we thought were favorable, you know, and and that's because teams believe the market's going to be um, not as good for for from a player perspective. But I think Springer, we talk about him. He's one of those guys that is not going to suffer from that. We know there are so many teams that would kill for his bat, and especially teams like the Nationals. You know, they're not the only team out there that's looking for a big bat like that. Uh, the Astros will be competing to re-sign him. The Nats would love to have him. Uh, the Mets are a team that we know is going to have cash. And, the, and that also becomes now, you know, the teams that have big money are going to be in for him. And I think I agree with you. When, when I, I'd almost rather go the route that's something we've been talking about of – getting three pretty decent players at different positions as opposed to going big and trying to fill in the the voids because the Nats feel like they're a few pieces away from competing, but they need to make sure they fill in all those gaps. It's not like, you know, you can get one big piece and then, you know, the outfield, right. And then go cheap on the starting pitching. And we saw what, you know, if you go cheap, you could end up with a guy like Sanchez or end up with guys like both in the end. And uh, you know, if you say, Hey, we're try with Joe Ross, it might not work out for you. So I think, from a strategic point of view, Springer might kind of break that stuff up. You know, he might kind of ruin your plans to build a more complete team. I agree with you. And with where we're at now in a crossroads, Nats still have a talented team, but this is the breaking point of, are they going to rebuild? Are they going to retool? And Rizzo will never rebuild, but if this offseason goes poorly and it blows up in their face they might be forced to so they gotta be smart about it they just can't put all their eggs in the george springer basket while leaving all the other holes as you just went over the next one is marcel ozuna he's gonna be 30 on opening day he had a gigantic year and he was on a kind of a one-year contract you know it felt like a prove it for a guy who's turning uh, you know he's just 29 right now and he hit 338 last season 431 on base 1.067 ops 18 homers 56 runs driven in not a good defensive player, but he's projected to get five years, $100 million. His market, in my estimation, excuse me, is going to shrink in half, right? We, we think there's going to be most likely no DH. And just to put a pin in the DH conversation really fast, it is my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, that what's going to most likely happen is if the current CBA holds up, the DH will be, will be gone for the National League. That being said, with the way coronavirus is spreading and the way there's kind of no end in sight, it's my thought that they're probably going to have to renegotiate maybe not the game length, but some specifics about the two leagues coming up this season. Right. So, I mean, it's going to be, you know, we might still get 162, but I think they're going to have to negotiate the health and safety stuff. And if they go, have to go back, you know, in the revenue thing. So if they go back to the table for that stuff, I'm going to assume DH is going to be included, but as it stands right now, if we, if we use a normal CBA for the upcoming season, I believe there's not going to be a DH, but Max, correct me if I'm, you know, if if that's, this is not your understanding, let me know. But this is kind of what, what I'm thinking is the DH situation here. Something that I was thinking, I agree with you, but in 2021, the current CBA ends. Right. And the players have been very vocal about wanting the DH. So the way I see it, I expect no DH this year and then it to be full-time in 2021. So teams will need to keep an eye on that. Is one year of bad defense of Zuna worth it if they're going to have the DH the rest of his um, tenure? Right. Are you buying or selling, Mar- you know, are you buying Marcel Zuna as the Nats DH? 
as a DH? For the Nationals. And I want to pitch it to you this way, right? If you kind of have an assigned DH, like Nelson Cruz. Yes. It does limit your ability to, to you know, it limits your flexibility, right? You can't put different guys into that spot each day, which I'm kind of more, fan. I, you know, I'm not saying everybody gets a chance to be the DH, but I kind of like the idea of a rotation, right? If you bring back a Kendrick. Uh, if you do add a piece in the outfield, maybe if, you know, if, if you, if Jan Gomes hits well and you have a second catcher, you know, maybe you want to get Jan in the lineup. Right. And I, I kind of like the idea of flexibility as opposed to assigned DH. I get that. But at the same time, if Marzell Azuna or Marcel Azuna is our DH and he's you do having the same production last year's going forward. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'd rather have that. I get it. You're looking at the matchups and stuff as well, because you'll be looking at it like, all right, it's a righty. Let's put in this guy. It's a lefty. Let's put in this guy. And I understand that matchups are important, but, and the reason Nelson Cruz has always been it is because that dude averages 40 homers and just doesn't age. So mm-hmm. for some people, I do think that they deserve all the DH reps. And so I'm going to make my decision based off this. I'm going to be looking at no DH 2020, and then DH moving forward. So one year of him having to play the field. If that's it, yeah, I would go after Ozuna. If I only know he's going to be in the field for one year, deal with his defense. And then next three years you have him at DH, no defense, just swinging away. If there, yeah. Yeah. It's, is, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go, on. No, go, ahead. No, go ahead. But if there is no DH the whole four years, no, I'm out on Ozuna. Yeah. I, I think it's half the way you have to be. And, and also like it with him, it's funny. It, everything with him always feels like a risk, right? The one-year deal is a risk. The long-term deal is a risk. The guy is a good hitter, but, you know, you have – like, you watch him swing, and it feels like there's ways to figure him out, right? He is – like, he will yank his head out, right? It seems like maybe if you're a guy who throws good off-speed stuff, he won't be as patient. But for some reason this year, he was just on against everybody he faced. Some of those concerns are still there for the other things. I want to move on to Michael Brantley, 33. Uh, he hit 300 this year, been a very consistent hitter. He's a consistent fielder as well, too. He's more of a complimentary piece, right? He's more of somebody that would fit towards, the, in my opinion, the front of your lineup. He's not necessarily somebody you would consider as protection, right, for a guy like – for I mean, maybe you put it in a situation where he is, uh, you know, in the lineup, but he's not like the big bopper like Springer in terms of protection. Two years, $30 million is Zuckerman's projection. Are you buying the fit with Michael Brantley – in this outfield and as an offensive player with the Nats. And I think you'd probably be what left field. Cause uh, you know, I think that's where he normally plays. hundred percent. Michael Branley is one of the players in my perfect plan that I went over in great detail because part of my plan, as I said earlier, if the price for Branley goes too high, you need a backup. And Michael Branley has been the one guy since I saw who was going to be a free agent that I've wanted the most on the nationals. He is a professional hitter. This past season, he, in 170 at-bats, hit 300, five homers, 24 RBIs, 840 OPS. Jadu just gets on base. He produces. But as you said, he's not the big bopper, which is fine. He can be a three-hitter or the way if you want to do it, put him into two, have Turner three, Soto four, and you're still going to have to find someone behind Soto. But adding Michael Brandley really improves the um, lineup. And I know you said that uh, the production uh, – Projection for Massa was two years, thirty million. When I was looking at MLB trade rumors, I believe it was they were projecting two years for twenty-four million, so a little less. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be anywhere in that range, and I think that's perfect because instead of 
I see it as 2018 offseason when instead of spending all the money on Harper, they allocated it. Right. We saw it happen. And instead of going and spending all this money on Springer, they could allocate some of it for Michael Brantley, who is still a great piece in the lineup. He has put his injuries behind him from 16 and 17. And over – so in 16, he played 11 games. 17, he played 90 games. And in 18, 143, 148 and 19 – and then 46 out of 60 last year. So I think you do got to keep in mind his injury history, which is right. important because it has always flashed up here and there. But I think that's a, a big risk you have to um, throw the dice on. I'm all in on Michael Brantley, and then that's – Yeah, it's also – you think about the number, too. Like, I think two for 30 is about as high as it would go. You know, $15 million, you know, $15 million a year for that. I mean – I think that is a a. I mean, he's a winning player too, right? He's had a lot of success on on winning teams. I think the balance of his performance plus injury history gives you that number. And I think, like you said, like that is a worthwhile investment for the Nats. That is something that he is he is the price of a piece, right? He's not a, not a price of a gigantic. It's not a gigantic contract. That's somebody who makes sense. It would force a Juan Soto move in the outfield. Um, the one thing though, I want and as we keep going to the outfield, keep mentioning this. Like holding out on Victor Robles is kind of the cog and all the, like this wheel, right? Is the it's the idea that we're depending on Victor Robles to become the guy that we, at least part of the guy that we know he is defensively too, right? Maybe a guy you put the back of the lineup, and his defense needs to come around. But you know if his performance is awful and the Nats didn't end up you know spending a lot of like, like if they're accommodating him, right? They're, they're basically saying, hey, look, we're not going to go and get a center fielder right now. It's just kind of not, which they still might. I'm not totally sold on that idea, but let's say that they don't get a center fielder, right? That's assuming that Victor is going to be your everyday guy. Victor is going to produce somewhat offensively and then play well on defense. If those two things don't come around, they might be in a horrible spot, right? I mean, you know, you're, you're depending on this to, to go to break, right. To go the right way. Um, and that's why, you know, down the list, I put Jack Peterson. I'm not even, I'm not even going to touch that one. I actually think it's a, it's a bad one. Cause I want to, I want to go to center field. Jackie Bradley jr. This one is one that, he's almost kind of like the grown up version of Robles, right? Good defensive player, offensive stats, hit or miss had a pretty decent season at 283. He's only 30 years old, 364, um, 450 slugging and 814 OPS, seven home runs, 22 RBI, 3 million, uh, three years, 24 million is, is the Mark Zuckerman projection here. I kind of like this, even though he plays center field, it's weird. I, what do you, are you buying or selling Jackie Riley Jr. as a potential option? So in center field in general for now, um, as you said, everything hinges on Robles. And yeah, he took a huge step back in defensively this past season, but his rookie year defensively, like he showed what he can do. He's going to have extended time off to rest up, get his head straight, work out, see what he went wrong, see what went right and work on it and focus. Now the Nationals, something that is interesting Two years into his tenure, Dave Martinez was finally able to put the staff he wants together. Now Robles can go work with the new coaching staff, work on what he wants to do, and build from there. And this year was a disappointment for the team. They won it all and then they missed. And you know that's a big kick in the mouth to them. So I, I really assume Robles defensively will step up. I hope his bat's up there. I'm not asking for a 300 hitter, just 270, 275 for – a guy that I want to lead off in the future. So for now I'm out on Jackie Bradley jr. And yeah, Jackie hit 283 last year, but he's also a 239 career hitter. So I don't really need that, especially with that's worse than what Robles is hitting. 
and we need offense. And I get he's this gold glover, amazing defense, but team, the playoffs just showed one, two guys can't carry a team in the playoffs. Randy Arizona tried, and because the rest of his team, who was really good defense, but just couldn't hit, they lost. And I, we don't need that. We need hitting. I want to move on to a, a, an interesting name here I put on this list. Kevin Pillar, to me, would make it would make some sense. And, and hear me out on this. He is 32, yes, but this is a player that, you know, he had a pretty decent hitting season, 288, 336 on base percentage, 462 slugging, 798 OPS, six home runs, 26 RBI, projected contract, two years, 10 million. I think if they want to, if they decide to spend money elsewhere, Pilar is a great cheaper option to be a complimentary guy in the back part of the lineup. That is my pitch. Are you buying or selling that? Looks like you're selling it. Here's my question for you before I answer. Okay. If you're going for him for the third outfield spot, if for a back of a lineup guy, who are you hinging on signing to be the extra bat that we need? So there's two. There's actually two ways I, I you could go with this. There, I have the, my big two options would be Real Muto, who I don't think they're going to get because I think he, I think he's going to stay in the division, but it's not going to be with the Nats. Be the Nats. I think the best fit for the Washington Nationals is DJ LeMahieu. I actually think that is the guy that, as an all-around hitter, and I don't think what we're seeing from him is an aberration at all. I think no. he's that good of a guy. I think he's that good of a player. Yeah, defensively, this team wants to get better, and he's not the greatest second baseman in the world. But if they do that, if they get LeMahieu, you're going to you, – you'd push over uh, – Stalin Castro to third. That's just that's the way I do it, and I'm I'm still. Mm-hmm. People aren't people are not talking about that as a legit idea. We did, we should wrap our minds around that because I feel like that's the best way to to get Castro in the lineup. The issue there being you're going to block Luis Garcia, right? You're you're kind yeah. of you're kind of blocking him. Um, but the good news is he's twenty one. He's twenty one. So or he's he's twenty one, I believe, right? Twenty or twenty one. He was twenty. I didn't know if he had his birthday. I mean, yeah, that's yes. Point being, he will be 21 next year. So, LeMahieu just had two monsters as the Yankees. And if we're doing this Pilar's banking on LeMahieu, how much do you think he's going to sign for? Because I see him being another sprinter. I don't think LeMahieu's going to get that much. I think his defense takes away from that. I also think, too, there's some caution around him because he did very well in that ballpark. And I think teams are always a little bit – I think there's reason to think his stats are suspect. There's also reason when I watch him hit, he's pretty complete as a hitter. Like, you know, it's, he is able to spray the ball all over the field. I'm, 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 I was able to watch a good amount of the Yankees this year. And I'm just impressed with the way that he, he, he approaches at bats. I think he'd be a great asset to have in this lineup. And also too, you know, with his age, you know, I don't think he completely blocks Garcia in the sense of like, if he gets hurt, you know, Garcia is right there to take up that mantle. And so I, I think like I don't think he's going to get the money anywhere near what Springer gets. I think the market for him will be uh, down a bit. And also, I, I believe there's a glut of infielders available this year, especially middle infielders. So I think that might drive his price down. If that's the case, I mean, I am a big LeMahieu fan. Um, and we'll talk about Castro all, later, but I wrote about him in my piece, and I agree with you. But if that's the case, I would love to have LeMahieu in the lineup. He adds the protection he needs for Soto. Kevin Pillard, and if he can continue what he did last year, which I don't know, I might have been an aberration offensively, but yeah, that dude's always been money in the outfield, and I'll give you that. In a defensive outfield, if Robles and Kevin Pillard is just right, very, very entertaining to think about. 
I'm all in on Pilar if that's the guy they get to protect Soto. I hope it's not Remuto. It's going to be too much money for a catcher at 30 years old who may or may not be able to play first base. Right. Yeah, that's, that is the concern. And, and I, I put starting pitching, but let's stick in the, let's go to infield next. So we just talked about LeMahieu. Some the projection was four years, $64 million. I don't know if that's the number. I would almost say with the national situation, maybe you, maybe you go three years and you give him maybe a bit more money just to say, Hey, look, we've got the second baseman stud behind him. Clearly Luis needs a little bit more work. Maybe being behind LeMahieu, just a, a veteran is going to help him. Um, and that's the situation. Or, you know, or you maybe go for another infield spot. First guy I want to talk about is Justin Turner, who had a um, uh, 2020 stats, 307, 400 on base, 460 slugging, 860 OPS, four, four home runs, 23 RBI, 36 years old. Contract projection here is two years, 26 million. I don't think he gets two years at 36 on opening day. Um, but I do think maybe that's an option if you're, if you're trying to hedge on Kibum and you want a good bat, maybe, you know, good proven bat as well too. Do you, are you buying or selling the Justin Turner potentially? Before game seven of the world series? Yes. Afterwards, <laughs> I'm very hesitant. And like, I, you can call my opinion bad for this, but like with all that, what it went down and I get, I understand where he's coming from. He just won the world series. Uh, I know you're right, but you're right on but this. You're right on this. The so. way he went about it. And I get, he gave a heartfelt apology yesterday, but I'd rather roll with Keyboom than Turner. Um, and I know Turner is just a monster at the plate, always has been. He's been one of the best hitters over the last six years with the Dodgers. I get that. I'm one of the few that is not give, hasn't given up yet on Tur- Keyboom. But I do think we need a bridge player for him. And I'm, that's why I think it should be Starling Castro. Right. But before we go into that, I want to hear your opinion on Turner. I, I think as an older player, he's a good option. It's like almost kind of a good backstop. I mean, here's the issue is that if it, they're in a position right now where if things don't go well at third, Castro is there to go to third and you can put Josh Harrison at second. Not saying Josh Harrison's any long-term good fix at second base, but this is why I'm kind of advocating that they get a middle infielder specifically a second baseman because I like the idea of Castro at third, somebody else at short. And it kind of backs you up because if there is an injury or something happens or Keyboom's not very good, like you don't want to be stuck with Josh Harrison as your everyday second baseman, or you don't want to be stuck with Luis Garcia as your everyday second baseman just yet. Like offensively, he was good, but defensively the inconsistency is, is, you know, you got to think it's, it's a bit too much to rely on at this point. So I would rather be prepared with a player that can help you out either a third baseman or a second baseman in the event that Castro has to go to, to third so I'm talking about preparation, right? That's kind of what this is, is and maybe one year, 6 million is too much to be prepared for. Right. Um, this kind of brings us to our next guy, like Colton Wong. Maybe that is somebody you look at. And as a second, you know, that's, that's somebody that you sign and you plan to play, right? You're signing Colton Wong and he is not going to be a utility potential guy. Colton Wong is going to play for you. Uh, 265 last year, 350 on base, 326 slugging. One home run, 16 RBI. Offense inconsistent at times, but a very good defensive player. And so I think uh, for Colton Wong as second base, I mean, are you, would you buy or sell them going and saying, hey, look, second base we're going to take care of and we're going to put, uh, you know, we're going to put Castro at third. What's his um, contract projection? One year, 8 million. I think it's going to, I think the Cardinals declined 
12, I want to say, I'm not positive, but they declined 12, which means they don't think the market for him is going to be that good. I do think Wong signs a one-year prove-it deal. And with us, I'd be fine with that. It's one-year second base deal would be perfect, actually, for Luis Garcia. It gives him another year to develop, add some muscle, improve that glove of his because, yikes, that wasn't fun to watch. No, it wasn't. And if if um, Luis Garcia turns out to be a single-seater, so be it. But he really needs to improve his OPS because while he hit over 270, his OPS was under 700, which is very scary to look at. But if you can raise his OPS and become a single-seater, that's fine. You put him at second in the lineup, and you need guys that can get on base. Uh, Cole Wong, I believe, is perfect for – if that's the way you want to go, it would be a perfect bridge player on a one-year deal. Yeah, Garcia, you know, that's the thing about him. But I also – He's going to get bigger, right? Like, I think that's the one thing we're forgetting is like, he looks like somebody who's going to fill out and be pretty big and athletic. And I'm, so I'm not, I, I don't think the power is like never going to come. And we've seen, we've seen, you know, moments of it. Like that home run against the Rays was a mammoth shot. And we know he has it in him. And I think also having Soto on the team too is something that's going to be helpful because Juan, while he's like good sized, Juan's not like this over, like he's not gigantic, right? He's not like this massive, you know, He's not Eric Thames out there, no. but he's really good at generating power. And so I think that that's a good person to maybe learn from. And also too, 20 years old, like the power could it easily, he's young. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. when he's 25, he's going to be, he's, I mean, think about this when he's 25 and 28, like, yeah, you know, just the size of people. Prime. Yeah. They get, yeah, they're going to grow. And so, yeah, that's what I'm encouraged. I'm curious to see. All right, that will do it for part one of our 2020 MLB free agency buy or sell with Max Raymond. Make sure you guys check out tomorrow. We will have episode two. So keep it locked in to your Locked On Nationals podcast feed. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Nationals. Follow me at Josh Neighbors.